Welcome to the All Things Performance Podcast, where our goal is to stay hungry, to get better, and to move the meter. My name is Josiah Igano, and whether you're looking to improve physically, to get fed spiritually, or to challenge yourself mentally, we're digging deep to find those gems, and we're going to find them. Let's go. Let's, let's, let's go. Here we, here we go, man. Um, I am joined today with Dr. Bim McKinday, man. Um, I've known I've known Bim since we were kids. You know, our, uh, um, our families are very close. We grew up um, practically with each other um, since we were we were children, man. So welcome, man. Thank you for joining us. It's good to be here. It's good to see you. I know I'm, I'm aging better than you, so it's always <laughs> good to be here. Uh, this is an opinion. It reaffirms that my genetics are better than No, that's debatable. That's debatable. That's debatable, <laughs> man. <laughs> hey, playing, hey, shooting, yeah, shooting free throws and playing horse all day does not count as a workout. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> my work, my workouts are, you know, they keep me where I need to be. That's all I'll say. Yeah, that's a political. I, I have to practice what I preach. So yeah, with that, with this quarantine, I'm actually working out like three hours a day now because of just lack of other things to do. No, I hear you. I hear you. So, so that 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 is a perfect segue uh, into where we are today. Obviously, uh, with the world pandemic, um, the current situation, uh, the world as we know it has changed. Um, we're all dealing with. Uh, coronavirus, uh, 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 COVID-19, uh, the novel virus that is, to be exact. Um, you, as a medical doctor, uh, are you know fielding many questions, a lot of uncertainty from a lot of different people. And we're just going to be organic today. And I just want you to, you know, we're just going to open it up. Then uh, I want you to explain to us what it is, um, what, should, what we should be informed of, uh, and some of your initial thoughts uh, on COVID-19. Yeah, I mean, it's um, everything's happened so fast. It's it's been um, very interesting. Just you know, when, when it first started happening, you know, my thoughts were always I kind of look at things like this, or this is going to be a test of our society. Um, anyone that's in the medical field knows that a pandemic is is probably the biggest thing that from a, from a, a being able to do something about it perspective. Where it's just sort of we're at the mercy of whatever it is. Um, a lot of people, um, you know, remember hearing about things like Ebola, but that was basically considered, oh, that's in Africa, so we didn't really affect our lives. People remember the bird flu, H1N1. Mm-hmm. Some people remember the swine flu. All of these things happened in places that were not exactly affecting American life the way that, that you know, the coronavirus. Uh, has been affecting us. And so from my perspective, that was one of the first things is, oh, I wonder how, you know, society is going to react to this in in America and really Western society. Um, And then from a physician standpoint, um, when these things start happening and spreading, it's almost a, um, really all we can do is give information because for something like this, unless you're in the hospital, um, and basically doing life support and supporting people through the symptoms. There's not a treatment for it. There's no, oh, we need to prescribe you this medicine. Oh, we need to do these steps. Really, it's just behavioral treatments um, and then, you know, kind of hope and pray that people recover. Mm-hmm. If they need more and more support, they go to the hospital. If, if, you know, they have to get on a ventilator or 
you know, now they're doing a treatment called ECMO, which is where you basically give someone's blood oxygen outside of their body and send it back. Mm-hmm. You know, those are all ICU things. And, and even then, it's not so much anything that the facility that doctors are doing. It's just some people survive and some people don't. Yeah. And if you can support them and they survive, and then great. But a lot of people aren't. So for me, it was always just how will our society respond to something like this? Because the treatments and the way to prevent it basically means stopping society. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that in and of itself has a limit with you know how much people will accept. Um, and, and we're sort of testing that right now. No, that's rich insight. I appreciate you sharing that. I, I know that, you know, uh, when you and I talked, um, we, we spoke, we spoke, we spoke um, not too long ago, and you gave a, a very clear um, analogy that I would love for you to share with our audience today. And, and we were talking about whether or not one should get vaccine, you know, um, get a vaccination, right? So when you're talking about flu season, right, people get vaccinations. Um, and, you know, you you beautifully went down human history in terms of the different pandemics that existed in uh, polio, chickenpox, smallpox, H1N1, all of these different pandemics um, leading up to where we are right now. Can you tell us uh, the uh, share, reshare with us the analogy that you gave about, you know, the cows um, and the businessman from a business perspective of what a, um, you know, a, a farmer or, or a, you know, someone who owns you know, a herd of cows, how he would go about doing that and the analogy um, that is uh, synonymous with, you know, human life. Yeah, this is uh, the question that I get with patients who, um, you know, they ask about vaccines. There's, you know, for some reason, there's a lot of controversy uh, in some parts about vaccines and whether or not, you know, we should get vaccinated or is there too many vaccines and why does the list keep growing and growing when it comes to of vaccination and, and what I always end up telling people is as I look at it um, vaccines are really not a uh, for most people a personal decision they're really a decision for public health and that's a different conversation than oh I need to do this to protect myself and I think when you start from that perspective uh, you're able to actually make a decision based off of what the the actual question is and not so much you need to do this for your health. It's whether or not you buy into the public good, essentially, for most people. You know, some people have to do it because of other health conditions. Um, but I, I always end up saying is, you know, if, I, if I'm talking to a patient, I'll say, you know, imagine if you were a farmer and you had 10 cows and your, your livelihood depended on those 10 cows. Those 10 cows are living. They, you know, some produce milk. They, they produce meat eventually. You know, they help. You know, they take care of your lands. And so they're all very valuable to you. Each, each cow, you know, whatever, I don't know how much a cow costs, $10,000 or whatever, but each cow has a lot of value to you. And so if someone came to you and said, you know, there's viruses, there's diseases, there's illness that your cows are susceptible to, and uh, at some point they will get this illness or disease or virus you know seven of your 10 cows will will get it and you won't even know it they'll just continue to produce milk they'll continue to produce meat they'll continue to you know eat the grass and they'll be fine three of those cows will get it and they'll be they'll get sick and they won't be able to produce milk they won't be able to 
do uh, any of, of the work that you need them to do. And then one of those three is going to die. And so if you were owning those, you would say, well, what can I do to prevent my cows from getting this? Because they're all very valuable to me. I want to lose one cow and I don't want two other cows be unable to you know, produce for me because this is my income. And so they would say, well, you could vaccinate all of your cows uh, and that will prevent the disease from spreading throughout them, protecting the one that will die and protecting the the three that will get, or the other two that will get sick. You know, those seven, it, it wouldn't matter to, you don't know which those seven are. You don't know which is the one that will die. You don't know the two that, that will get sick, but, you know, not be able to work, but eventually recover. And most people in that position would say, I'm not going to try to wait and figure out and see which ones will survive. And, and because you can't vaccinate them after the fact, you would vaccinate all of your cows to protect the whole group. And that's really the same what vaccines are, are for, really, from a public health perspective. It's, you know, most people, uh, you know, if you go back in time and look at the whole population, everyone wasn't wiped out by measles. Everyone wasn't wiped out by chicken pox. Everyone wasn't wiped out by polio. But you don't know who that's going to be until after the fact. And these things are so... Uh, infective and contagious that if you can get enough people to buy into a vaccine, it essentially stops it and its tracks from spreading to everyone so that more people are protected. If you don't get enough people to buy in, then it's just a game of chance. Mm-hmm. It's a game of, you know, craps almost. It's, it's going to go through the population and some people are going to die. Some people will get sick and recover. Some people will get it and never know. Mm-hmm. And that's what's happening with uh, the coronavirus is there's no vaccine for it. Um, and so once it gets in a population, it's just going to go through the whole population. And even with all of the social distancing, if this thing doesn't, once it's in the population, it's really just a matter of time before every single person encounters it without a vaccine. You know, it's almost like chickenpox for our generation growing up. Mm-hmm. Before the, the vaccine, it was everyone was going to get it. I, I knew people that used to have chickenpox parties where if one person in a class or a community got it, they would just have all the kids play together so they would get it and get over with. And and the reason you would do something like that is because for the most part, chickenpox doesn't kill you. You get it, you're sick, you recover. And it was better than you know waiting. They would just say, "All right, you've had it, and now you can move on." Now, now there's a vaccine, so most kids don't get chickenpox because they get vaccinated for it. But if chickenpox was something that killed people, A, they wouldn't be having chickenpox parties because those would be also known as death parties. Yeah. And two, you would be having to separate everyone until there was a vaccine for it, which mm-hmm. is, again, where we're at with the coronavirus because there's no vaccine. And for certain people, it's essentially a death sentence. Uh, for other people, it's major hospitalization and so when you don't know who those people are the hospitals aren't prepared to manage millions or hundreds of thousands of people needing icu level support or hospital beds the only tool that you have is basically saying we have to keep this from spreading from person to person and the only way to do that is to separate people and so that's where how we are we are now and so people say oh if they come out with a vaccine you know 
I don't know. I'm not sure how I feel about that, or I don't know if it's safe, or I don't want to do that. You almost are basically saying, I would rather have it just run through everyone. The people that die are the people that die. Because that's essentially what you're doing. If you were that farmer with 10 cows and you say, well, I know this is out there. I don't believe in vaccines for my cows. You're basically saying, I'm willing to let the one die and the other two to get sick so that I don't vaccinate all my cows. Because you can't pick and choose. But no business person would make that decision. Everyone would vaccinate all their cows because the benefit is greater than the risk of losing one and having two that aren't productive. Yeah. No, that's um, I appreciate you sharing that. That's that's very crystal clear in terms of why you would choose to vaccinate um, and and just, you know, the effect that it has on everyone else, you know, and uh, that it has on you for those who choose to vaccinate or not. So I think that that's a very powerful analogy. Um, so with all the I want to shift gears a little bit here. So with all the news, right, you turn on CNN, their stuff, you turn on NBC, their stuff, you turn on Fox, you turn on CBS, everybody is is uh, sharing their opinion and they're ha- they have their resident experts and doctors on, um, you know, in, in terms of their opinion. Um, since there is no vaccine, as you've alluded to, what can we do? Right. What can we do? What are the tangible things that should be done to keep us healthy? So, I mean, a lot of this now at this point is sort of what's been happening. Um, And again, I look at it from two perspectives. One, public health, which is everybody, and two, individual, personal health. And from a public health perspective, it's essentially we have to keep people separated because that's how this is spread is person to person. Mostly person-to-person contact, but now, excuse me, with this virus also, you know, it's aerosolized. It can live on surfaces. You know, one of the differences between this and Ebola was Ebola was transmitted with real intimate contact. So it wasn't as contagious as something like coronavirus, uh, which is another reason why this has basically stopped the world, uh, is because coronavirus, you know, it can be aerosolized. That's why, you know, the CDC now is recommending masks. Uh, It can live on surfaces. If you touch the surface and touch your face, you can get it that way. You don't have to have been giving a person a hug that had it or living in the same house as a person that had it. You can get it just by being in the same room that someone had had it and then contacting the surface that they aerosolized. So, you know, that's why the stay-at-home things are in effect, immediate family members, that sort of thing, Um, limiting travel, working from home if you can, Uh, all the sort of large-scale public health things that have been going on that that's because of that to try to stop the spread and really you know in my opinion that's not going to stop it from spreading from person to person what i think is the goal of that is actually to minimize the spread so that the hospitals can handle the people that get it that need hospital support because without a vaccine without a treatment it's it's going to go through the population Mm -hmm. but if it goes through at a rate that's slow enough for the hospitals to handle it then it's not going to be just a mass catastrophe. Mm-hmm. If it's faster than that, that's when all hell breaks loose. Mm-hmm. And so it's not so much we can completely eliminate this from the population by staying at home. You know, my opinion, the way this virus works is it's, it's going to go from person to person. Mm-hmm. But if we can do it in a rate that's manageable, then the hospitals can control that. From an individual perspective, if I'm talking to a patient one-on-one, those are where... Uh, things like not touching your face, washing your hands, 
frequently, um, using hand sanitizer, um, not going out into places where there's going to be a lot of people, uh, not, um, basically the, the personal changes that have had to happen, um, can help protect yourself. Mm-hmm. Again, for a lot of people, they may have come in contact with it and be asymptomatic. So there's still going to be an element, you know, for example, going to the grocery store, you know, people have to go to the grocery store, um, unless you're getting things delivered, you know, honestly, that's a high risk place. There's a large groups of people in one place at a grocery store at different times. So when you do go to the grocery store, you know, this is why they don't let people bring in their own bags anymore. You know, I would wear gloves. I would consider wearing a mask, take some hand sanitizer with you. Don't touch your face, sanitize your, you know, the door handles to your car, all those types of things that, you know, might be considered a little overboard, but if you're really trying to protect yourself and you're going into these places, you know, that's what you have to do. A lot of these things are things that hospital workers have been doing for years. You know, when you work in a hospital, you only have, you know, your hospital clothes that you only wear to the hospital or you change to the hospital. Some people will change in their garage before they enter the house. These are things that I've done. Immediately put those clothes in the washing machine, uh, go take a shower, right, when you get off work so that you're not bringing things home. So these are things that as an individual you can do that, you know, may be a little inconvenient, but during this time, uh, those are things to strongly consider that might minimize your your chance of getting it during the pandemic and uh, protecting your family. No, I appreciate it. Can you can, can, can we stay here for just two more minutes? Can you give us a quick and you, you, you did right now, but I want you to do it more in, in a more stylized fashion. Can you give us a quick walkthrough of say, hey, you know, myself or my wife, you know, um, we need to go and do some grocery shopping. Right. Uh, or we need to go somewhere to go run an, an essential errand um, uh, to, before we come back home. Can you give us uh, the, for the listeners out there today? Can you give us a, a, a simple checklist of the you know three to five to however many things that we need to do before we leave? And when we do go to those said areas, what is a good checklist to keep in mind when we come back home to where our our families are? So, yeah, I would, um, the, the first thing I would do is, is make sure that wherever you're going is actually open uh, and, and still in business in person, whether it's the grocery store. Some grocery stores have limited hours now. Uh, some grocery stores in our area have uh, certain hours for certain people. So they have senior citizen hours, for example. Um, so if you're not of a certain age, you can't um, shop at that time. And that's to sort of minimize high-risk populations. So find out when is when are you able to go, first of all. The second thing I would do is, is have sort of one person, um, if you can, that's sort of the designated shopper that goes to the store, you know, or, you know, if you need work on your car done or some of the things that are essential that does all those kinds of tasks. Um, then I would have... Um, what I would call, you know, your Corona fit, your clothes that you wear when you're going out and really should be just the same thing every time. The shoes, same pair of pants, same shirt that you basically use and then you wash and disinfect after you've used it. Um, Keeping gloves if you can, and a lot of these items now are hard to find if you don't already have them, but a pair of latex gloves if you can or disposable gloves. If not, a pair of gloves that you would basically wash, like you would wash the clothes that you go out with. 
uh, definitely have hand sanitizer if you can, um, if you have it, because these things are, are scarce now. Um, hand sanitizer, a mask, um, whether a homemade mask or one that you were able to um, buy before everything went out of stock. I don't think you need or is really even possible to have an N95 mask, which is a mask that blocks out 95% of, of particles in the air. Um, really, the um, any sort of facial covering, I've seen people using scarves and, and those sorts of things um, for going out. Uh, and then when you get where you're going, you want to have, um, you know, something that I always try to do is, is minimize my time there. And so you want to sort of have a list already prepared, if you can, a lot of grocery stores allow you to order things early and then just pick up curbside. If you do have to go in, know those items, know where they are, and sort of try to get in and, and get out. Um, and then sanitize all the surfaces that you touch as far as like your door handle, the steering wheel of your car, the door handles to the, the door on your house if you're going through a door. Um, and then when you get back home, the first thing I would do um, is... Um, unload you know all the items that you got and then change your clothes from the, the ones you wore out and then immediately wash those um and i think those are sort of there's a fine line between being really neurotic and sort of living this uh, very difficult existence uh and being precautionary i think having dedicated clothes that you go out in is something that's not difficult to do you know changing when you get back home isn't difficult to do um you know, you can take a shower or something like that. I don't think that would really change much. But sanitizing the surfaces you touch, sanitizing your hands, wearing a mask, changing your clothes, trying to minimize the amount of time you're spending, you know, in the grocery store or wherever you're going. Those are things that that shouldn't add too much burden to your life that can potentially minimize your risk of exposure and then bringing it back home. That's very, yeah, thank you. No, that's very practical insight. Uh, as we get ready to close, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have you um, share some parting words in terms of some encouragement or some thoughts that you might have uh, for, for our audience uh, listening today. Uh, but before we, uh, before we do that, I just wanted to just hit real quick on sports. Uh, obviously, you, uh, you know, being a former athlete, your family, um, you know, all being athletes, your brothers and sisters, um, sports is something that's near and dear to you. Um, and you work, you know, in sports medicine. Um, just talk to us real briefly about, um, you know, just some of the things that, you know, you might be thinking right now in terms of sports and how soon sports will be returning, um, you know, audiences, arenas, crowds, uh, because this is something that is, you know, affecting a lot of people. And so I just wanted to, to hear your general thoughts on um, not only for the athletes themselves who are, you know, um, sideline, uh, you know, right now, but for the fans who may uh, want to consider or reconsider uh, large, large, uh, you know, large bodies of people. Yeah, I mean, for me, uh, yeah, as you said, you know, sports is a big part of my life uh, as an athlete, former athlete, and then also as a sports medicine physician. You know, primarily that's what I do. Um, you know, for me, the first thing was you know, the, the athletes that lost their seasons. You know, that to me was one of the first thing I thought about. You know, I remember my senior season of high school. I remember my senior season of college. I mean, those were your the times that you had worked and built towards. You know, you sh- usually at that point, you know, as physically mature as the people you're playing against, if not more, you've been playing for a few years. So you had the experience. 
And for a lot of athletes, that's the year that you, is sort of the culmination of a lot of your efforts for high school athletes and for college athletes. And to go through that work and then just have it taken away because of things out of your control, you know, that, that would be devastating. Uh, and, you know, uh, so that was my first thought, you know, was for, for those senior high school athletes, especially where, you know, that's kind of the end. Um, not everyone's going to go play in college. And if you're a college athlete, not everyone's going to be a professional. And so I just kind of, you know, my heart went out to all those athletes and, you know, hopefully there can be some salvaging for some of the spring sports and summer stuff, you know, as time goes on, it looks less and less likely from a professional athlete or even college with, you know, spectators, you know, that I think is going to be one of the last things that comes back. Um, you know, right now, if you look at how things have unfolded as this has progressed, at least in Washington state where I'm at now, initially it was sort of a gradual, like one week it was, all right, no gatherings more than 50 people or 250 people. Then it was okay. No gatherings more than 10 people. Then it was no gatherings at all. Then it was staying home. Don't go out unless it's for an essential service or you're working in an essential business. And so I think the same thing is going to happen in reverse where when things are opened up as far as staying at home, you'll be able to go out, but it'll be limited in number of people in the same place. Mm-hmm. And that will slowly, depending on the numbers of cases and deaths, that will, will be tied with how things get reversed going back. So a large arena of 20,000 people is probably not going to happen in a while. Mm-hmm. Football stadiums where you have up to 100,000 people, you know, I don't see that happening for a while. I think sports will come back, but it'll be either limited spectators or um, no spectators. And then if the numbers stay low over time, they'll start decreasing those restrictions and allowing larger groups to gather. I think just like after 9-11 happened, when you go to any major sporting event, you can't bring in bags, you can't bring in drinks, you can't Mm -hmm. bring in anything. I think we'll probably see some behavioral changes that are required for sporting events, whether it's, you know, hand sanitizing coming in, masks, you know, these are all sort of dependent on what people are also willing to tolerate from a personal freedom perspective, but it's not going to be the same as it was before. Mm -hmm. They might, you know, have restrictions on how close the seats are to begin with, you know, an arena that normally would have 19,000, they might only sell half the seats and spread people out, you know, things like that. But those are some of the changes that we'll have to deal with in the short term until there's a vaccine. Yeah, that's uh, that's very that's very uh, thought provoking. Um, you know, it's crazy. I'm sure you have been as well. Um, just watching ESPN lately, you know what I'm saying? Them showing all the old games and, you know, you see. You see Kobe Bryant going against KG and guys high five and running into fans, you know, going after loose balls, man. It's it's crazy as you sit and you watch these old games and you know, just the proximity of people and just the camaraderie, yeah. you know. Even watching people shake hands on any two, I was like, Oh, that's not happening right now. Yeah. You know, it's yeah, these man. are these are things that human beings have been doing for hundreds of years that people will rethink. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think there's uh, you know, I, you know, personally, I like shaking hands. I like, you know, expressing yourself with other people and, and touch is a big part of that. Yes. Um, those are things that will have to be thought of and maybe it'll be seasonal. Who knows? But um, 
yeah, this is a test of our society. That that's what it is, and how human beings interact. Yeah, and you know, as time goes on, if there's not another pandemic, say for ten years or twenty years, people will forget. And I think things will go back closer to the way they were before. Um, but the question is, what will our society look like? Yeah, you know, as we move forward, and what will people accept? What will people reject and say? You know, it's not worth that. Yeah. That's awesome. I mean, I, again, I appreciate your time. This was really good. Uh, it got me thinking uh, about a lot of things differently. Um, what are some closing remarks and some closing words um, as as uh, as we get ready to to, to wrap up here uh, that you would like to share with everybody uh, in terms of encouragement or in, ter- in terms of some thoughts that you might have given you know uh, the world events? Yeah, I mean, for me, it's it's always comes down to the, to my family first. You know, obviously, uh, and I think everyone you know, that has some sort of family, whether it's nuclear or an extended family, is just making sure that you find a way to communicate with the people that, that you care about and let them know that you're thinking about them and still, you know, share, you know, yourself with them, whether it's through stories or if you're able to use technology to, to interact and communicate. Because uh, that is a big piece of the human experience is, you know, communication and interacting with those we care about and love. And then the, the second thing would be that things like a pandemic or virus or really sort of any disease doesn't necessarily uh, discriminate when it comes to who can get it um, and who doesn't get it and who survives it and who doesn't survive. And no one knows who those people are. No one uh, works to be immune to something or resistant to something. Honestly, these are things that, that are completely out of your control and no one wants it no one wants cancer no one wants you know to be infected by a virus and when it happens you realize how little control you know we actually have over the most important thing mm-hmm. which is our health and so with this type of, of scenario not only protecting yourself but thinking about protecting others i think is the best way to look at it it's not so much this is being forced on me because other people want to control me. It's we're trying to protect ourselves, but at the same time protect other people. And that's what vaccines are for. That's what social distancing is for. That's what the state home orders are all for is to try to protect everybody and not just make one person's life more difficult or protect one person. And so with that in mind, I think it sort of makes it easier to deal with a lot of these restrictions. Uh, and I know that that likely will have a shelf life as well. But the shelf life should be longer if everyone looks at it from that perspective of no one knows who this is going to really affect their lives. And so we have to do our best to try to protect everybody. Awesome. Awesome, man. Thank you again so much, man, for sharing. Um, I think this is uh, this gives us you know some good tools you know to go to, to go back uh, into our, our lives uh, into society with and so man Ben thank you so much again man yeah my pleasure it's good to see you